Welcome to No Cartridge Audio. My name is Trevor Strunk. Uh, I'm at Hagelbon on Twitter. And I have with me today uh, everyone's favorite Australian, uh, Matt Brady. Uh, Matt, uh, tell them your, your Twitter handle. It's Matt V. Brady, right? Uh, yeah, Matt V. Brady. All right. It's uh, nothing special. And then your, your Tumblr uh, name always makes me laugh. Oh yeah, I don't. I haven't used Tumblr for a while, but yeah, it's uh, I think it's Matt V Brady was taken already. Yeah, or like I can't believe Matt V Brady was taken yeah. already, or something. Yeah, yeah, which is true because it was. <laughs> some some other rogue Matt V Brady took your took your screen name. Yeah, there's some other Matt V Brady out there stealing my thunder. That's like that's really uh, the the other Trevor Strunk that's out there is um, this sort of like down and out snowboarder. Um, so I like I don't. <laughs> We kind of run in different circles. There's a lot of uh, Matt Brady's out there, and they all seem to be white guys with brown hair and blue eyes. Oh. I've actually had people try to friend me on Facebook and send a friend request to the wrong <laughs> Matt Brady in Australia. Have you thought about, like, stealing their identities? Is that something you'd be interested in? Well, the one uh, Australian one I know of seems like a bit of a dickhead, so... Mm, yeah, no, I, that's not so good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's it, it, it seems like it would be kind of tempting... Or interesting, at least, to be that, like that, seemingly anonymous. But of course, like you're not an anonymous person. Like you obviously have like a pretty distinct personality and stuff. So maybe it's not. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's not as fun. Um, so we were talking a little earlier, and one of the things that really interested me, aside from you know us being friends for a while and me wanting you on the podcast, um, one of the things that interested me and made me want you on the podcast was the. Um, the fact that you don't sort of come at gaming the same way that most of my other guests have, which is that, like, I think, I don't know if I would say this to a person, but I think it's probably true to a person. We all came at gaming from, like, a fairly traditional way. Like, I got a Nintendo when I was five or whatever, um, or six. I super liked it, and I kept up with consoles and stuff, and I dropped out of gaming for a little bit and came back to it. But, you know, fairly traditional. Like, I, I like all the old yeah. classic games because I played them when they came out, blah, 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 right? There's like, you can hear this story a zillion times online. Um, but you sort of have a different approach to it. Is that right? Uh, yeah, sort of. Um, I did have, I did play video games a bit as a kid, but I, I'm a bit older than probably most of your guests. So it, it wasn't really, you didn't really identify yourself as a gamer or anything. It was just, a hobby that you did, but I think I had a Sega Master System. Okay. Too. <laughs> you're not you're not that much older than me, then. That's that's about right. But um, it was actually my brother's. He was the console owner, so I never <laughs> I played Alex the Kid, which I think is the, nice. the inbuilt game that it came with. That's a that's a classic, I, man. That's like that's yeah. A, that's a very strange game. I don't really remember any of the other games we played. I'm sure I played Sonic at some point. And um, I think he got a Super Nintendo after that, and I was uh, already a, a surly teen by then and thought video games were for kids. And sure. uh, yeah, we'd, we'd, we'd go to the uh, the arcade occasionally, when, back when those things still existed and were popular, when there were half a dozen arcades in our hometown compared to zero, <laughs> and play like Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter and those kind of games that were popular then. But yeah, after that, um, I never really owned a console until I bought the PS4 about two years ago. Okay. So yeah, that's I mean, a, that's, it's a that's pretty a big gap. gap. Yeah. 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 So that's, I mean, that's fascinating to me because like, there's such a, you almost like it's, it's almost like a gap within a gap in a way because like, between the Super Nintendo and the PlayStation 4, you basically get like 
you know, the, the the initial departure from the Super Nintendo and the early PlayStation, and then like by the end of PlayStation two and three, um, kind of a nostalgic return back to the Super Nintendo, and yeah. now in in the new uh, systems, the new generation of systems, it's sort of like you know, nostalgia games and, and AAA titles can sort of exist side by side. So you sort of oh, missed all the weird, like, uh, emotive sturm and drang of, the, of, like, the shift over. Yeah, I, I did play um, the occasional game here and there. My brother always had a console, and every now and then, for whatever reason, he'd uh, lend it to me for a few weeks. So I played, uh, that's how I played the first, not the first, uh, Fallout 3. Oh, okay. Which was the first, uh, I guess, modern game I ever played, and so Fall- uh, it obviously it it kind of blew my mind playing yeah, it. Yeah, I was gonna say Fallout's like uh, based on conversations I've had with you, Fallout's kind of, and you know, you hesitate to use these terms, but maybe it's actually the right term. Like Fallout's kind of like an important game for you. Yeah, yeah, I know it's a, a I guess controversial isn't the right word, but unpopular, I guess. I know um the Fallout franchise and Bethesda gets a lot of uh crap and gets made fun of a lot <laughs> in gaming circles. I don't really know too much about that. I understand that like the gameplay is as a shooter, like it's not a very good game to actually play. But uh the gameplay is never really um a priority for me kind of thing. It was it was just uh, the whole aesthetic of the game. I'm a big fan of uh, the Mad Max films, and the Fallout series is obviously heavily inspired by that kind of look and kind of, yeah. And I always uh, <clears throat> just really dug the the aesthetics of it, the whole, uh, like, a, it's like if Leave It to Beaver, the TV sitcom, and then there was a nuclear war and what happens 200 years after that. I always really thought that was uh, a cool idea. So, yeah, I played uh, Fallout 3, and it just it uh, blew me away. It was the first open-world game I'd ever played, and I just um, really got taken in by the idea that you could just uh, build your own story within the game, which you can't, of course. Like, as invisible as they try to make those rails, the rails of the story are still there. But uh, it really felt like at the time I was just uh, telling my own story within the game. And that really drew me in. So when I heard there was a Fallout 4 was coming out, I thought it might be time to buy myself a PS4 as a little just a gift to myself. Nice. And um, yeah, so. So one of the, it's funny that you mentioned the complaints of Fallout because it's it's again like this, this sort of like cycle within a cycle of, of feet of like a response and review. Cause fallout one and two are like considered like classics of the genre. Right. Um, yeah. And then when fallout three came out, I think like everyone had the same reaction you did, which is like everyone's mind was blown and everyone was like totally blown away by it. And then over time people became like sort of, you know, they played new Vegas or they, they became critical of it in some way or another. Um, and so like, it sort of became like so cool. It was almost passe, um, or so well regarded that it was like almost more more pure to say that you didn't like it. Um, yeah. But like Fallout Four sort of suffered from that in a way, um, and I'm interested that you went from, to Fallout Four specifically because you were interested in this like open world concept. Because one of the so our mutual um, uh, friend slash punching bag uh, Connor Southard uh, <laughs> describes um, 
Fallout 4 is like the truest possible open world game. Like people say it's boring and stuff like that. And his defense of that is, yeah, like actually it's boring because it like actually is an open world game. And so I'm interested, like you said, you see the rails or the rails are there in Fallout 3. Did you feel like they were any less there in Fallout 4? Uh, Fallout 4, I think certainly uh, was a lot gentler about guiding you in a certain way. You kind of um, spread out from where you start in a very, in a way that feels very natural okay. going uh, from place to place and the game kind of guides you along. So uh, I, I feel like, yeah, the rails are still definitely there. There's more options in Fallout 4, obviously, with the way the story can go because they set up the, uh, the several different factions and that you can uh, slowly choose to ally yourself with. I never really, I didn't find it boring. I can see why some people did. I actually got really into the um, the settlement building aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And that was when I knew I was uh, really becoming a gamer is when I was looking up on YouTube <laughs> tutorials about glitches in the game that you can use to build better settlements. Because <laughs> it was really bugging me how, uh, I don't know how, how much you got into the settlement building, but um, Not as much as obviously, you. <laughs> obviously you can just... Uh, plunk down like uh, machine gun turrets and stuff like that but because of the way the game's designed they won't always clip onto the ground properly they'll kind of be floating oh that's really re- that was really really bugging the shit out of me uh sorry can we swear you, you can curse yeah. don't worry about it yeah you're fine yeah so uh i looked up there was a youtube tutorial about uh, various glitches you can use to kind of sink things into the ground and for a while i got like really really into that into making the settlements look as realistic as possible, or not realistic, but uh, matching the game as mm-hmm. much as possible, making them look like they could be real settlements you find in the game, to the point where I was like wandering around at the actual settlements of the game, taking notes <laughs> on how they designed things <laughs> and things like that. And uh, yeah, there's apparently a, a fairly big community that's still to this day, as far as I can tell, really into uh, building in yeah. the game. I guess it's that whole uh, Minecraft thing, which I've I've never played and I'm not really that familiar with, but it's that same impulse, I guess. It's interesting that it happens in a game for you, though, because, like, to me, Minecraft... I guess it is the same impulse, but Minecraft has always been sort of like, you know, basically the digitized version of Legos or something like that, right? Like, that idea of getting, like, a bunch of blocks and having to put them together in some fashion. Um, It strikes me that, like, the way you're describing it, like, the impulse in Fallout 4 is a little different... Um, and it reminds me a lot of, of other games that are really becoming popular, especially among audiences, maybe like our age. So like, um, I'm going to make a guess, but if you're younger than this, I, I apologize. Uh, like thirties, um, like, you know, games like, uh, I covered it in a previous episode, uh, Euro truck simulator two, or, um, geez, I'm trying like even, even some of the, the games that used to be really niche and now are becoming like still niche, but like kind of franchises within that, like Train Simulator or something like that, where, like, it's actually a game or, like, it's an element of a game that is just extremely appealing to, like, a particular kind of professional adult. Mm. Um, I wonder, like, how much do you think, like, you would have uh, uh, latched onto that aspect of Fallout when you were a kid? Oh, I definitely wouldn't have paid any attention to it as a okay. kid, I don't think... It was. It's just too much uh, messing around and not shooting people. <laughs> right. And so, like, do you think? Um, 
I wonder like how you could so I know another game you've played a lot of that maybe you can comment on in this in this direction would be something like um uh Witcher Three, right? You've played Witcher Three yeah. a lot, unless I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, I like Witcher Three a lot, yeah. So like how do you do you see that kind of same impulse in there? Because it strikes me that like the way people talk about Witcher Three, I haven't played it yet. I just like I've been working up to it. Um but uh but it strikes me the way people talk about it that like there's a level of storytelling and also world building that kind of like work yeah. hand in hand. Yeah. The, the interesting thing I found about Witcher three is um, normally I'd play, if I liked a game that much and it's based on a series of books, I'd go and seek out the books, but playing Witcher three, I actually found I don't really need to read the books. The right. game realizes the world in such a full way that I actually don't think the books could match that <laughs> because uh again uh I, is, I don't know if the, I'm using the right word when I say aesthetics but the sense of aesthetics in the game just the world building I guess you could say aesthetics is, there that seems fine is incredibly detailed and uh just the way they've they designed the armor really realistically of the soldiers and stuff like that and every faction has has a slightly different uniform and yeah, it's a very, yeah, a very immersive game. And I just found I had no interest in reading the books at all. I don't think I kind of looked up one on Amazon and read the preview and it just didn't really interest me at all. I was like, this, this isn't as cool when I'm not actually <laughs> seeing it on the screen now. Right. As like such a, such a weird, uh, such a weird transition from early versions of that. Like, especially <coughs> think about like, I mean, these are just like super, um, you know, uh, obscure games at this point because they were totally unsuccessful. But, you know, like the Super NES um, Lord of the Rings games were just like awful. Like they, they had nothing yeah, to do I, with I the books. Yeah, I have vague memories of playing something like that. I'm sure I played something like that, but yeah. Yeah. And like people, you know, it would it would be sort of like the disconnect between the games and the book, but in a very negative way. Whereas like what you're describing there, I mean, that seems totally new. Um, I can't even imagine it happening in some like, you know, like Telltale put out a Game of Thrones series, but as I know, you're also a Game of Thrones reader. Um, yeah, I've, I've actually got the, uh, Game of Thrones game, but I got it for Christmas as one of those, um, gifts of a sort of, I know you're interested in this one thing and this other <laughs> thing, so I'm going to combine them both together. And yeah, gift. I haven't really tried to play it yet because uh, I haven't heard good things. It's all right. Stuff. I mean, like I'm not... Yeah. So maybe this actually kind of ties into what you were saying, because, like, Telltale games, they don't do anything for me. And I know they do a lot for others, but, like, to me, it's just, like, it's literally just a story um, yeah. that's told through, like, kind of choices you make. Yeah. Um, and there's no kind of, like, um, i trying to think of this, because there's other games that I've talked about that are stories that are just choices you make. Like, uh, Night in the Woods was a game I covered that I think is, like, super rich and it's essentially a story you just like a linear story that you just like make choices in. Um, but there's no like garden paths, right? Like there's no, there's no pacing to it. Um, I wonder how much that has to do with it. Like, so do you, so let me ask you this question so you could talk a little more than me. Um, because I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure most of the audience wants to hear your accent as opposed to my shrill (laughs) Philly accent. Um, uh, what um how much does like the actual sort of leisure or pacing of the game matter to you like is it a leisure activity to play video games is it something different yeah it definitely is for me it's become a very relaxing thing i i don't play i work from home so i'm actually a living carer so i 
I technically work from home, I guess. Right. But uh, I try not to play during the day at all. I don't want to become a, a day gamer, I guess you could call it. <laughs> the dangerous I don't thing. Become, yeah, I don't want to become one of the uh, indoor kids sitting in his room <laughs> with the blinds drawn. So I, like, I only I play up, like I only play after dinner at night, pretty much. But I found uh, the longer I go, the more I play, and it's it's pretty much become that. After dinner, I'll go into my room and turn on the PlayStation, put on a podcast, and uh, play a game pretty much until it's time to go to bed. Nice. Now, I don't really watch television much anymore, <laughs> or uh, I still read a little bit, but not as much as I used to. It's a, uh, yeah, so it's become a big, like, in the evening, relaxing thing, and, um, hmm. yeah, the pacing certainly, certainly matters. I do like having some control over it. I like being able to speed up or slow down, depending on how much you're enjoying the game, I guess. Sure. Something like, like, a, like Fallout is very good at that, or The, the Witcher 3 is pretty good at, at that kind of thing. I think you had a recent podcast about side quests. Yeah, that was something I was going to say. Yeah, side quests are sort of a version of that as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like... A, they work really well in in something like uh, Fallout, as uh, just feeling like weird little side stories that you encounter along the way. They're never really too long or too involved. They're just uh, weird little incidents that you kind of stumble into very naturally. Yeah, Bethesda seems to be pretty good at um, uh, taking like ideas that clearly wouldn't make full games and actually wouldn't even make full storylines and turning them into just like, instead of trying to stretch them out, turning them into interesting side quests. Yeah. Um, that seems to be a real strength. Yeah. I mean, there's like a one in fallout four, which I, I actually, another aspect of it that I like is I've still got no idea if I've finished everything in the game. <laughs> right. But, uh, because of this, I got really into the settlement building. I, I played it for quite a long time. I played it on and off for about a year which is a lot of uh, time to invest in a game. Yeah. But every now and then I'd, I'd get sick of building stuff or or you need to actually, you know, uh, you need the resources. So occasionally you need to actually venture out and play the game instead of just building things. <laughs> right. And I, I randomly stumbled upon this one quest and it's really just uh, a joke, a one-note joke pretty much that they turn into a little side quest about some guy who's selling off meat that's giving everyone diarrhea. <laughs> and you investigate it and find out he's chopping up ghouls and putting them into tin cans or something. <laughs> I can't actually remember the details of it now, but I stumbled onto that long after I'd finished the main quest and right. most DLCs. Had no idea it even existed. I just I was like, oh, I don't think I've actually gone inside this building before, and I just happened to open the door and and it triggered a whole, whole quest waiting for side you. Quest. Yeah. <laughs> I like I find that sometimes uh this happened to me in um in Oblivion when I was playing Oblivion. So I don't know if you play any of like the Elder Scrolls games like Oblivion or Skyrim or stuff like oh, that. I did play Skyrim, yeah. Okay. Um so I mean you could say exactly the same thing for Skyrim. And actually I never finished the main quest in Skyrim because it just I didn't really I, I guess I didn't find the Civil War element very compelling. Um but in Oblivion I like I basically completed every side quest I could think of well before I did any part of the main quest. And so, you know, one re one thing, the main quest was, like, absurdly easy because everything because was Because you become down. so... Yeah, you become so powered up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, overpowered, right. Um, but the other thing was, I just found... I found the main quest, like, 
much less interesting. And I guess because it's like, it is just the story as opposed to these little kind of like, um, elements that add a patina to the world that you're occupying, right? Like yeah. actually color the world or give it depth as opposed to like, you know, the story where you're the hero and you're saving the world from doom doesn't really have that much depth. It's just kind of like pro forma. No, it's, it's much more interesting when it's just this little story about helping a village find a lost sheep or something like that, that, yeah. that really makes the world feel real in a way that, uh, the big world saving, save the world from all the dragons doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I found Skyrim uh, much the same way. The main storyline didn't appeal to me partly because the choice seemed to be between the imperialists and the rebels who were, as far as oh. I can tell, blonde-haired, blue-eyed racists. Yeah, that's that is exactly how I felt. I, I like when I had to make my choice. I was like, "This is a terrible choice." I'm not yeah, I really it. did not want to join either faction. I was playing it around the time that uh, Trump got elected, actually, and I was like, "Oh, oh this is really not uh, nice, matching up very well with uh, current <laughs> events." So I'm definitely yeah. not choosing the racists. I think I ended up going with the Empire just for that reason. I was like, I really do not want to join the racists. Yeah, I get it. I mean, at that point, a bunch of blonde-haired populists don't seem very exciting. No. <laughs> but then again, I mean, just, you know, a couple months earlier, a bunch of iron-willed imperialists probably didn't seem very appealing no, either. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's that that's interesting that we both felt the same way about Skyrim. I wonder how, how widespread that is. I'm sure if I read a little more about it, I'd, I'd know, but it just seemed to me like a terrible false choice. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how other uh, Oblivion games have played out. I've never played any before, but yeah, that that was one where the main story really didn't propel me along at all. I didn't feel any sense. Whereas yeah. in something like Fallout and The Witcher, as much as I loved uh, stuffing around doing the side quests, I'd often feel the need at some point to continue on with the story. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's I guess that's a good. I don't know how to say. It. I don't know how to kind of like uh, align that. It's, it's sort of like a way that there's a there's a literary critic named uh, Alex Wallach who talks about. Um, he's a Victorian uh, critic. He's over at um, at Stanford, um, and he he has this interesting theory about. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've heard these terms before, but like flat and round characters in, in literature. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much Dickens you've read. Um, a little. I've read uh, Tale of Two Cities and oh. Oliver Twist. Yeah. Oh, then you're fine. You'll you'll know what I'm talking about. So, like, in Dickens' stories, there's always um, there are rounded characters, like say Oliver Twist, and then there are flat characters. Um, even like you know Fagin uh, could probably be considered a flat character. That's just basically like a um, a like a total caricature, just to meant to provide a one note thing, right? Um, yeah. You know, like in uh, in Bleak House, this is like the guy who owns the the like the trash shop who burns up to a crisp, right? Like, there's just like right, yeah. The, the, and Wallach's theory is that basically, you know, traditionally flat and round characters correspond to each other, and like you need flat characters in order to like offset the round characters, but you'd rather have more round characters. And Wallach sort of sees it as like corresponding in terms of like a a a larger structure to you know to kind of overgloss him um like that it actually kind of works as a network um where like the flat characters comment on one element of the story like one level of it and the round characters comment on another and it strikes me that like the way you're talking about side quests versus main quests i never thought about it this way but it's kind of like that too where like 
the main quest is meant to be that rounded plot line. But yeah. those side quests provide so much like interesting I don't know again, like flat kind of moments in the game. Yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. Uh it, and uh, as you mentioned on your previous podcast, there is really something really satisfying about ticking those off your to-do list, almost in a way. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you if that, like, because part of the appeal as an adult with video games for me is being able to like take in doable tasks and and knock them off the list. Yeah, it's it's one of the reasons I actually really dislike Radiant quests, which uh-huh. I didn't even know was a thing until I was playing Fallout and I was trying to finish a Radiant quest. <laughs> I, I figured eventually the Brotherhood of Steel would stop giving me these weird quests. And it wasn't until I'd been sent to clear out the same place like three times that I was like, hang on a second. And I actually got online and looked it up and, and learned the term Radiant Quest and that it doesn't actually ever stop. <laughs> that's just that's just a job at that point. Yeah, that, I, I really uh, found those unsatisfying. They're a nice way to, I guess, uh, earn some money in the game or whatever kind of currency or experience points that you need but but yeah i found them actually really unsatisfying i imagine like and and you can tell me if this is too much of a personal question but i imagine like on some level you know being an in-home carer is such a it, i imagine it's a difficult and also kind of a um difficult because it's such a long i don't know like not a process that has a beginning and end um, yeah to the to the job right yeah, um, it's, it's a job that becomes your whole life because there's never really you never really clock in or clock out. It's just something that's always right. happening. It becomes yeah, a, a bit of a grind. Care. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so, like, I would imagine that video games provide you with like a really sort of unique um, contrast to that. Yeah, yeah, they certainly do. Um, it's. Again, yeah, that that satisfaction of of being giving a task, going and doing the task, completing the task, and then it's done, and I can walk away in the game is is a does provide a real level of satisfaction that I don't really that I kind of get overall in real life the satisfaction of looking after someone, but it, I don't get on that day to day level of achieving things. Yeah, it used to. I used to have this. Um... This re- recurring fantasy when I was in, uh, it was probably when I was in college, but maybe in early grad school too. And the fantasy was um, dropping out of school and going back to my town and working at a Best Buy and just at night, not having a social life, but just like at night meeting with like three friends and enjoying, I don't know, like R.A. Salvatore novels or something. And like the thing is, I've never worked retail and I also don't really like R.A. Salvatore novels. And my friend would always, like my friends would always laugh at me and say like, that doesn't like, you wouldn't like that. You'd, you'd hate that in a minute. That's like not a life you want. Um, and not that it's a bad life, but it just like wasn't the life I wanted, obviously. Um, <clears throat> but there's something like, I think like ultimately that was what was appealing to me about it. That like you could clock out, that you could be done. That yeah. like at a certain point you had like discrete work time and labor time. Uh, I'm sorry, work time and, and um, uh, uh, fun time for lack of a better word. Um you had a leisure time. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, and you could, you know, express that in however you wanted in the most frivolous possible way. Um, I don't know if anyone has that anymore, but certainly y- you have it rougher than most, I would say, because that's such a, such a personal and all encompassing job um, that like, I'm sure on some level 
even the simula simula uh, simulation of leisure time in that way is is really like very nice. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's it's a, just a way to block out the world for mm. a little while, and uh, yeah, and devote myself just to this uh, one task instead of having to worry about the million things that I know have to be done. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, Matt, can I ask you a uh, an Australia specific question? <laughs> yeah, sure. Go ahead. It's not. It's not about. It's not about uh, racism or um, slang. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, but you can add some uh, about. I am an expert on both those topics, but yeah. <laughs> well, I, from what from what I'm to understand, it's like it's like a necessary element. Um, <laughs> uh, but one of the things I've heard about Australia, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but one of the things I've heard about Australian video games is that the rating system in Australia is particularly strict. Yeah, I, because I came to gaming so late, so I'm an adult, so it doesn't really affect me that much. Mm-hmm. So I haven't really noticed, but I, I I believe it is. Yeah, Australian censorship in general is pretty strict. Mm. It's the same with movies and uh, not so much with books, I guess. But yeah, with movies, it's certainly a thing as well. I know there's uh, some movies which have never actually been released here due to censorship restrictions. Yeah, that's what I had heard with video games too. Is that like um, is it is it Port, oh, what was the shooting? Port, Port Arthur, yeah. Port Arthur, yeah. I was trying to remember if it was Port Arthur or Port MacArthur, but yeah, is that? Do you think that's sort of a legacy of the Port Arthur shooting, or is that just something that's been there? I think it's it's kind of actually unfortunately baked into Australian society. We've always mm. been a bit of a nanny state. We don't. Okay. It's not something that's uh, the popular image of Australia, and it's certainly not something that I think most Australians would think of as in their national character. But I think it really is kind of a leftover of uh, being a penal colony, sure, more or less. That uh, that uh, there is this feeling that the government looks after us, but also maybe in ways that are a bit overzealous at times. Um, so, is there any like you know? I know this is this is something that I think Americans have a or American gamers who by and large skew to the right. Um, not this podcast, but I'm sort of a voice in the wilderness as far as that goes. Um, but uh, there's this kind of overarching fear that if America becomes a nanny state, then like the act of gaming on some level will be stigmatized to the point of extinction. Do you feel like that's a thing in Australia? I know like it, it's a more censor based on what you're saying. It sounds like it's more censorship heavy. It sounds like it's more of like a, a top-down sort of like state in terms of cultural regulation. Um, do you feel there's any sort of like stigma against, you know, your hobby? Or is that just sort of something that is like not the case? Not that I've really noticed, no. Okay. I think it's I think gaming is probably about as popular here as anywhere else. And again, mm-hmm. like I said, I haven't really experienced the censorship much myself. I'm <laughs> sure. I don't know of any games that have been outright banned or anything. I'm sure there's some that I don't, I'm not really aware of. But uh, once you're over 18, they're pretty cool about pretty much anything, I guess. Okay. I haven't been asked for my ID in a long time, so. No, not even after you shaved. No, no. Did you did you show them your new profile pic? I think they'd probably like they'd probably card you then. (laughs) I should get that put on my license. They won't. They won't look at your license for more than like a minute. They'll be too disturbed. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not not really aware of too many games um, that have been banned or anything like that. But uh, there there are certainly ones that are like 18 plus. I guess I don't know if uh, that's even a thing in America. It, it kind of is. There's um there's mature games which are I guess 17 plus. There's also AO which is adults only. Um, but very few games get that rating. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really pay much attention to it, to be honest, when I pick up a game because it's not okay. going to affect me at all. Um, I just had a quick look then at some of my games and I don't see any actual ratings on any of them. Interesting. So, um, yeah, that's again, not a, it's not a topic I can speak with a lot of authority on. It's not something that's really impacted me at all. No, it's interesting. I mean, like, honestly, and hopefully to the listeners too, but it's interesting to me just to hear that it's a false positive because it's one of those, like... It's one of those remarked upon things that I think like people take as an article of faith that like in other countries, this is already happening or, or something like that. Yeah. There's a very, um, you can, I mean, it goes to Skyrim as well in a certain way, but there's a very reactionary um, uh, quality to video gaming um, that I think folk, like kind of uses censorship or freedom of speech as an excuse, um, but manifests itself in like... St- you know, Stormfront message board topics about how great Skyrim is if you play as the Nords. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little rough. There is another aspect to gaming in Australia that I Please. think is different from America, and that's our price. They're a lot, lot oh. expensive here. Interesting. Like, so I, how much more um, expensive are we talking? I bought a game just yesterday, actually, because I was finishing up. I, I recently uh, played through Assassin's Creed Black Flag again, and I was oh, how was it? Towards the, yeah, I I quite enjoy that game. I'm not a huge on the other Assassin's Creed games that I've played. I've played um, I can never remember the names of them now because I don't give them numbers anymore. I played <laughs> right. the uh, the French Revolution one, okay, which I liked the game, but I did not like that I was uh that Robespierre was the bad guy and that I was killing Jacobins and. Yeah, it seems like and seems national like guards would not be too fun. Because that's that's one of the things I, I quite enjoy about the Assassin's Creed games is that uh I can just stroll around killing cops and <laughs> soldiers and uh, <laughs> in Black Flag slave owners and plantation owners and stuff like that. That's quite satisfying. Yeah, of and uh, that was kind of absent in the in the revolutionary France one because I'm killing national guardsmen who are fighting for fighting for the revolution. That wasn't so much fun. And uh, no. I think the Victorian London one, where you play as twins, I'm really sorry, I cannot for the life of me remember the names of either of those. Yeah, guys. I don't remember. That's the one where Marx is in it, right? He's like he gives you side quests. Yeah, yeah, he <laughs> uh, has his own little storyline. Yeah, and Dickens does as well, actually. Oh, good. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, kind of selling it to me there, but I can I can only imagine who you're who you're after in Victorian London. Yeah, now that was that was particularly satisfying. Getting to kill Victorian London era bobbies was particularly uh, <laughs> that's like, that's, fun. That's a real that's a real historical blow for for your nationality. <laughs> but um, uh, in Assassin's Creed Black Flag, yeah. Anyway, I I quite enjoyed the playthrough, but um, I knew I was getting towards the end of the game, so I went to buy a new game yesterday, and it's the weekend here, so I didn't order it online because I knew it wouldn't arrive till Monday. Mm-hmm. So for the first time in quite a long time, probably since I bought the PS4, I actually went into our version of GameStop, which is EB Games. Oh, I, you guys still have EB Games? Yeah, I think uh, wow. GameStop actually owns them, but they've kept the name EB Games here. Yeah, that's what we had. They, they were competitors to Game. Um, this is like 
this is the worst kind of like consumer tourism ever, but like <laughs> or, or consumer nostalgia ever. But that was they were the uh, EB Games or Electronics Boutique were the were the um, uh, competitor to GameStop back. In oh the day. right, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure GameStop actually owns them here. And <laughs> just elected to keep the name. Oh, there you go. But yeah, I um, ended up picking Horizon, whatever it's called. Really oh yeah, people game. seem really into that. Yeah, the robot dinosaur one. Horizon yeah, yeah. Dawn, that's it. Yeah. And it was, it's a relatively new game. It's about a couple of months old, a month old. I'm not really sure, but it was yeah. a hundred bucks. How much money? A hundred. And how much, so that's that's Australian. How much does that, do you know the, the trend? I, I can look uh, it up. Uh, that would be about, oh, it's got to be about 75 American at wow. least. Yeah. That's wild. So how much, so... Hundred bucks. That's incredible. No, actually, it'd be about eighty American, I think, at least. Eighty yeah. American. Wow. Yeah. So quite a lot. Yeah. So why I mean, is even that? Given for the, I really don't know. Weird. They normally justify higher prices here as we're so far away from everything that shipping is such a big part of the price. Right. But I can't imagine it costs really that much to ship games. No, well, and I mean it—it's not like I don't know. Like I—I I don't actually know, and this—this this is revealing an ignorance in terms of the industry. But I don't know where games are manufactured because yeah. obviously, you know, like, and obviously it doesn't apply Japan. to digital downloads, which still sure. have uh, are still marked up considerably more than they would be in America. Wow, and that, I honestly that... think it's just that uh, Australian retailers know they can screw us over and the Australians <laughs> will take it because we're used to such high prices. I really think it's nothing more complicated than that. Well, it's just fascinating that it's still such a popular... And it sort of brings it back to what you were saying at the beginning, which is like, you know, when you were a teen, it was like, oh, video games are for kids or whatever. But it's fascinating that it's a, it's still like a, a viable hobby, right? Or a viable industry now. Yeah, it certainly um, is an expensive hobby. I don't buy too many new release games for that reason. I normally sure. wait for them to either come down or buy them secondhand. I want, it actually makes me wonder if Australia has a more thriving secondhand games uh, market. It's possible, yeah. I could see that. I, it, it's just fascinating to me because, like, I can't. I guess, like, in no matter. I mean, I know all this stuff about supply and demand. I know how economies work and all. But yeah. you know, even putting that aside, I can't imagine. You know, America, American game markets working the same way if they were if the games were that much money. But I guess if you know Australia is any indication, they probably would. Um, which is fascinating because, like, it makes you wonder how flexible or how sort of. Um, uh, elastic a market uh, gaming, which is like a total luxury item, is. Mm. Well, it's still, it still certainly seems popular here. I, I don't know how a kid could afford it, but when right. I think back, I, I couldn't really afford it as a kid myself, even when the games were incredibly cheap. Like on mm-hmm. the, on the Sega or on the Super Nintendo, we really rented games mostly from video rental stores instead of buying. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, that's really interesting. So, Matt, um, I can't remember my last question, so I am going to not uh, hem and haw over it and, and use all your time wondering what that last question was. Um, I am instead going to ask if you have any uh, final thoughts on uh, what we've been talking about, anything that you want to tie together. Um, I think there's actually like a lot of 
really interesting content here on a on a number of like pretty wide releases. Uh yeah, just uh to game with strength and honor <laughs> always. Uh Oh, one thing I didn't Wonderful. really talk about, I don't know how interesting this is, but one of the aspects of coming to gaming so late is that I'm not really into cooperative gaming at all. Not Cooperative or, or also competitive? <clears throat> competitive. Uh, yeah, the other thing is I'm not too familiar with the terms yet. Oh, so, so cooperative of... is like when you play with someone and like you're going for the same objective. Competitive yeah, that, like competitive, person versus person co- or whatever. To me, gaming is very much a thing I want to do in a solitary fashion by myself and not be bugged <laughs> by anyone online or otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> so things like Call of Duty or Overwatch don't interest me even a little bit. I can understand that. Overwatch actually surprised me in that it interested me because I hate... Um, I usually don't like playing video games with people unless it's like... So like, you know, I'll play with a couple of my friends from Twitter or something like that if we set it up, and that's fine. Because like... I know who they are and, and I can handle that. But like most of the time I like to do it by myself. Mm. Um, and actually once I played a couple of competitive rounds of, of Overwatch, I'm terrible at it. And that might've also contributed to my bouncing off of the, on the, you know, the serious part of it. Yeah. I certainly um, wonder if um, the fact that I know I'd be terrible and get my ass kicked by a bunch yeah. of 14 year olds has something that certainly has something to do with it. Yeah. Well, there's no, it's like, it's, it's such a, it's such a blow on some level. Like, it's very easy to make video games make sense as like an adult uh, occupation um, intellectually. But then when some 15 year old is telling you that you're terrible at the game and you, (laughs) it's like, Oh man, like maybe I should, this is (laughs) awful. Like this isn't fun at all. Um, I actually did remember my last question and it ties into that. So speaking of solitary pleasures, I know you are also really interested in comic books or at least vaguely interested in comic books. I don't know how, how deep it goes for you. Um, I haven't bought comics in a while, but when I was buying comics, I was pulling, you know, 20, 25 titles a month. So I I was deep in the weeds for quite a while. Um, I wonder, for me, comics and video games have this very complicated relationship. They kind of occupy similar but not quite precisely the same place in my brain. Mm-hmm. How do you, do you see any commonalities between them? Do they kind of tick off the same boxes for you or are they just like totally different pleasures? Uh, for me, they they have become somewhat different pleasures, but for me, comic books are very much a nostalgic thing these days. Mm. Interesting. Uh, like you, I don't uh, regularly keep up with any titles anymore at all, but I do have um, a digital subs- a Marvel subscription. I think it's called Marvel Unlimited. Okay. Which allows you to read. Um, oh God, I don't want to spruik for them. It, it really is. Pretty, a pretty good deal, but I do, I really do not want to sell people Marvel because well, they're a horrible you, company. You could just do the ad, like where you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's marvel.com backslash cartridge. Yeah, um, you can get you know, it's, it's <laughs> if they want to sponsor um, us. Yeah, yeah um, they, if the neo Nazis. But, but there, the wanna... <laughs> the cool thing about it, the reason I got it is that it allows you to read for a monthly payment pretty much anything they've digitized as much oh, nice. as you want. So I really just read old comics these days, and it's and it really has become very much that nostalgic thing of uh, looking down at my iPad and seeing the cover of a comic I know I bought in like 1994, <laughs> and very much sure. transported back to that time and getting a little buzz out of that. So hmm. there there really isn't um, a lot of commonalities between that and video games for me because video games are a very new thing in my life, relatively yes. speaking. It's fascinating because, like, I think you're very unique in that way, or well, not unique, but but unusual at least in that way. Because 
for most people, I think video games, maybe even a large appeal of video games has to do with nostalgia. Like you can sort of tell from the little, um, you know, bonuses or hits that, that are included in games. Sometimes they kick back or like, just like the popularity of certain franchises. Mm. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with like remembering where you were when you played a game or whatever. Um, but it's very interesting to see that, um, that made us distinct between like, okay, the comics are the nostalgic thing and actually video games don't have that tinge of nostalgia. They're appealing in a totally different way. Yeah, no, the, the real appeal for video games for me is I just, uh, I think as I said it before, blocking out the world, putting some mm. music or a podcast on and just, uh, blocking out the world for an hour or two at a time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't think of a, I can't think of a more appealing way to describe video games. Um, well, Matt, thank you so much for being on. Um, do you have anything you'd want to add or or plug for that matter? I don't know. No, no, not really. Just if anyone's interested, they can follow me on Twitter. I guess at, at Matt V Brady. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Yeah, absolutely, it was a blast. Um, and yeah, definitely follow Matt. I. I I'm almost sure everyone listening is following him already, but in case you aren't, uh, you should totally do that. Um, and yeah, please come on anytime. Uh, if you if you have any thoughts on Horizon, I'd love to hear them once you're done with it. Yeah, yeah, I haven't actually started it yet. I've only uh, installed it, but yeah, I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, if you ever want to come on and uh, also uh, yell about the Defenders TV show, oh, you're welcome yeah. for that too. <laughs> and it's going to be terrible. I, I haven't watched... You know, I only watched... Uh, out of that bunch, I only watch Jessica Jones, and I really like Jessica Jones. Mm. Um, but I heard such bad things about Iron Fist, and I never got around to Luke Cage and Daredevil. I missed for whatever reason. Um, so I don't know. You seem to really like Daredevil, though, so maybe I should go back. I and do, but uh, I can't really defend it. I understand why people don't <laughs> like it. It's, but yeah, it's uh, very much all the things I love about comic books put into one television show. It's a blonde guy fighting ninjas and a big fat guy, so. I love D'Onofrio. That, that casting's amazing. So he is um, really, really, fine. yeah, yeah. Well, all right, I'll let you go. Um, and yeah, uh, tune in next time. I'm sure. I think it'll probably be a solo one next time, but we might have yet another interesting and uh, and globe trotting guest. Uh, Matt, thanks again. Uh, thanks. See you later.